The title of my message this morning is The Power of Prayer. This is a message that I normally would have preached next week um, with the week of prayer coming, uh, but with having special guests, we're getting it a week early, which reminding ourselves about the importance of prayer is never too early is never less important one week over another. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12 this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn there. I have my Bible written out, as I remind you whenever I preach. My eyes aren't as good as they were, so I can't easily read out of here. So I have it much bigger on here. Acts chapter 12. Verse 1 through 17 is what I'll be reading. Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 17. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death, with the sword, when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Harold was about to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries stood at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter in the side and woke him up. Peter wasn't a morning person. Get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Further proof, he wasn't a morning person. He needed his coffee first, so he was aware of what was happening around him. It's okay to have fun in church. They passed the first and second guard and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for themselves, sorry, it opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. 
When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to, the an- came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. That's funny to me. She just, she's like, oh, it's Peter. He's a, Peter, Peter was in prison. He just, he's out there. Let's just leave him out in the cold. No one's looking for him right now. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motions with, motioned with his hands for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. Then he left for another place. What a crazy verse. Just impossible. There's so many impossible things and so many human, truly human responses in this verse. There was a professor of philosophy who was deeply committed to being an atheist. His primary goal for one required class was to spend the entire semester attempting to prove that there was no God, that God just couldn't exist. His students were always afraid to argue with him because of his impeccable logic. And for 20 years, he had taught this class, and no one had ever had the courage to go against him. Sure, some had argued in class at times, but no one had really ever tried to go up against him because of his reputation. At the end of every semester on the last day, he would say to his class of 300 students, if there is anyone here who still believes in Jesus, stand up. In 20 years, no one had ever stood up. They knew that he was going, they knew what he was going to do next. He would say, because, every, because anyone who believes in God is a fool. If God existed, he could stop this piece of chalk from hitting the ground and breaking. Such a simple task to prove that he is God, and yet he can't even do that. And every year, he would drop the chalk on the floor of the classroom, and it would shatter into a hundred pieces. All the students would do nothing but stop and stare. Most of the students thought that God couldn't exist. Certainly a number of Christians had slipped up or slipped through, but for 20 years, they had been too afraid to stand up. Well, one year there was a freshman that happened to enroll. He was a Christian and heard the stories about his professor. He was required to take this class for his major, and honestly, he was a little bit afraid. But for three months, that semester, 
he prayed every morning that he would have the courage to stand up no matter what his professor said or what the class, the class thought. Nothing they said could ever shatter his faith, he hoped. Finally, the day came. The professor said, if there's anyone here who still believes in God, stand up. The professor and the class of 300 people looked at him, shocked as he stood up in the back of the classroom. The professor showed it, you fool. If God existed, he could keep this piece of chalk from breaking when it hit the ground. He proceeded to drop the chalk as he had many times before. But as he did, it slipped out of his fingers, off the shirt cuff, into the pleat of his pants, and down his leg and off his shoe, and it hit the ground and simply rolled away, unbroken. The professor's jaw dropped as he stared at the, at, at the chalk. He looked up at the young man and then ran out of the lecture hall. The young man who had stood proceeded to walk to the front of the, the room and share his faith in Jesus for the next half hour. And the story goes on. Some people say that this story is true, that it actually happened. As much as I researched to confirm whether or not it happened, I couldn't find proof that it did happen, that it, that it didn't happen, or that it did happen. I tell you this because that's how powerful God actually is. That's how powerful prayer actually is. And God has done way more miraculous things than simply making a piece of chalk not break on the ground. I tell you that story also because it illustrates the power of me and meaning of prayer. That young student who had the courage to stand up, that prayed every day before going to class, leading up to this fateful day. The power behind that prayer. As we read through Acts 12, our hearts, hopefully, are thrilled at the remarkable deliverance of Peter from prison. What a, what a mighty demonstration of the might of God, of the power of God. We know that God is sovereign. We know that through the Bible, and we even experience it in our own life, that we don't always see God, God demonstrate that power of deliverance. Uh, not everybody gets set free. We know that in the end, Peter did die, um, as did my big brother. My brother wasn't healed. He died. So that does happen at times. But that doesn't change who God intrinsically is. When my brother died, that didn't shift in. And I, and I mentioned this, not to 
kick a dead horse and make you feel bad for me, but to prove the point that it is possible for God to remain sovereign and on the throne even if we don't see the prayer that we have prayed answered instantly in the moment or in the way that we expect it to be answered. And God demonstrates to Peter in Acts 12 and to us the power of prayer. We see expressed vividly vividly God's concern over his children. And so I want to look over a few a few points this morning as we examine what happens in this passage. First, I want to look at what I would call an unfair restraint. In verse 5, it says, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But he wasn't simply kept in prison, like some people were kept in prison. He was basically in maximum security. It talks about how even while he was sleeping, he had bad buddies chained to him. And there was two centuries outside of the door. And it's more than likely that he was kept in the fortress of Antonia, which was in the northwest corner of the temple area. Beyond those four that I just described, there was a total of 16 soldiers that would have been in charge of guarding him. Two chains, there was keepers, there was iron gates. I mean, Herod took absolutely no chances. Took every precaution possible to make sure this dude wasn't going to escape. I wonder why he was paranoid, huh? I'd imagine if I who was me in Peter's shoes, that would have been a pretty tough situation. Be for me to be preaching today and then tomorrow, because of preaching, I'm sent to maximum security prison, sent to Dorchester. That would have been feel like a pretty raw deal. Be pretty tough. <laughs> You'd get me? Is that what you said? Thanks. I, I I wonder, the Bible doesn't say this, but I wonder, because he was human, and thinking the way that I think, if ever the thought went through his mind, this, man, this isn't fair. Like, what is up with this? I know that if tomorrow, because I was preaching, I found myself in Dorchester with sharing a cell with uh, with with Bubba, <laughs> as we sit over here, with some really evil person. Like, this just isn't fair. This isn't right. Like, come on. You think there's a chance that Peter might have thought that possibly? I think if we, if we were to... Not to take him off this pedestal because of who he was and recognize that 
he also was human and experienced humanity as you and I experience, experienced the craving for food, experienced the need for thirst, the need for comfort, the need for love, just like you and I do. He wasn't immune to those things. Yes, he was an amazing, godly man. Even Billy Graham messed up sometimes. Imagine. There's a chance that Peter could have experienced, why me? Why is this happening to me? But we know that the reality for Christians is even more than the average Joe. We should expect for things to not be fair sometimes. The things can get stacked against us because Satan wants nothing more than for our faith to fail. It says in 1 John verse 5, sorry, chapter 5, verse 19, we know that we are children of God, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Bad things, yes, bad things happen, but for Christians, we're told to expect trials and tribute. And boy, was Peter expecting that. How could Peter expect justice? All the persecution against our Lord was unfair. Even on the day of his sentence to death, we know the false witnesses were hired to testify. There was nothing fair. Even though Peter was a law-abiding citizen, we know that he obeyed civil authority. He understood what Christ taught about give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. We know that Christ taught Peter to, to be subject to the human powers of his time. Peter wasn't a bad troublemaker. All that got Peter in trouble was that he refused to stop preaching Christ and Christ crucified, the truth. And especially in this day and age, don't we know that the world likes to mock and laugh in the face of what we believe at times, just as what Peter had experienced that we would have integrity for, and stand up for what we believe, we can experience wrath and indignation. We can be spoken down to. We can have the powers that be try to push their ideology on us. But did we truly expect that things were going to be easy? And things were going to be fair, that Satan was going to fight a fair battle. That he wasn't going to put some metal in his boxing gloves to try to get a quick KO on us. Did we expect that? Peter was a child of God, and yet he was persecuted. And when the Sanhedrin ordered Peter and the other apostles 
of his time to stop preaching. He says in Acts 4, verse 20, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Does that still ring true for you today? In the face of pushback, in the face of trouble, can you help but speak what you have seen, what you have heard? Can you help but to bring to voice, to break the sound barrier with words of goodness, of of the goodness of what God has done in your life. I found it interesting thinking about what Peter said to the Sanhedrin in, in that, I'm sure, was an intimidating setting in front of the Sanhedrin, the chief religious people of that day. I found it interesting that he had this boldness, that this change had come upon him. There was a time when he faced a young woman in a courtyard, and he feared to face her. And yet here he, had, he stood in front of people that could literally ruin his life, and he had this boldness to speak the truth. He had the grace to speak it in love. Hatred for the gospel had brought this immense animosity for Peter. And the government was trying so hard to quench the fire in Christianity of that day by killing its leaders. James was the first victim of that. Peter was to be next in line. They were trying to exterminate Christianity. And they had Peter's execution scheduled for just after Passover. But how many of you hear this? How many of you understand and get that the enemy often oversteps himself? And fails to truly take into account the true power of Christ alone. Did you hear me? I, I, would, I was sure that that would have got an amen. Are we awake this morning? How many of you understand that the enemy often oversteps himself and underestimates the true power of Christ alone? Don't just amen for me. That's not about me and I feel good. That is the truth. That is the word of God. And boy, I was saying to the worship team and to Donald Gallon this morning, boy, has the church at large, not just evangelicals, Catholics, Protestant, I don't care what your denomination is, boy, has the church at large forgot the power that is in Christ alone. And boy, does it show in chairs and in pews across churches in Western Hemisphere, and I say the Western Hemisphere, the Western world, because churches in China are full. Churches in Africa are full. Churches in the persecuted world are secretly full. And boy, do they know the power of prayer. 
but yet we can't amen the power that is in Christ alone. And that would be hard to hear, but it's the truth. Look around us. know that we would see it happen again. Does your heart hurt like my heart hurts? As we move along, we encounter an urgent request. It says in Acts 12, Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. There's that little, that little word that has so much power in the Bible, but. He was in prison, but. The church was earnestly praying for him, for God to deliver him. As soon as the iron gates of Herod's prison clanged shut, the gates of heaven were being raided on knees, praying for them to swing wide open on Peter's behalf. The church of that day sank to their knees. Now, they may not have literally been on their knees, but they were in prayer. They rushed to prayer. The reaction was, we are in trouble. One of our leaders is in trouble. Let's pray. And it wasn't just a quick five-minute prayer. Okay, I've prayed. I feel better now. Now I want to go back to whatever I was doing. No, they prayed unceasingly, meaning they didn't stop praying. And so, you see, Peter was in prison. And there was, I'm sure, no doubt that Peter was praying for his own deliverance. In the Texas, the church was also remembering Peter before the throne of grace. He wasn't on his own in his trouble. They were praying without ceasing. And in the Greek, the word, and I had to write this out, phonetically, uh, and I'm probably still going to get it wrong. In the Greek, that word without ceasing is uh, ectonase. Did I get that right, Donald? Donald's good at that sort of thing. Ectonase, which speaks of intense prayer, the kind of prayer that bombards the throne of God. During that entire week that Peter was in prison, they were intensely seeking after God to move. It was the kind of prayer, as we've seen exemplified in this passage, that literally opens prison doors. Here was a church on its knees for its leader. God today 
is pleading for you to fall united on your knees. God is appealing for united prayer. We read in Hebrews verse, sorry, chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, a plea that closes with not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together in prayer. I'm not going to read that. I was planning, but for the sake of time, I'm not reading that entire passage. If you want to jot it down, it's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, if you want to read it later today to verify for yourself. I love that you, for you to go home and test the word for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Go home and study what it says for yourself. But it closes with not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And there's examples of united prayer that are seen throughout the Bible. If I were just to cover a few quickly in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 30, verses 23 through 27, we see the whole assembly of the Israeli community, community with God. Sorry, we see the assembling of Israel communing with God. The awakening which uh, followed after that was tremendous. It's, it's mind-boggling. In the days of Nehemiah, when they were building the wall, we know that a united prayer was speedily answered. And in this passage, the church prayed together without ceasing. I tell you folks, the church of Jesus Christ, you and I today, we need to remember the power of United Prayer Meeting. And it needs to not just be an act of remembrance. Thinking, oh, I remember when, when we used to all pray together and what would happen. But it needs to be a remembrance that draws us to action. The reality is, is nothing will bring down the power of God. Nothing can annihilate the power that the enemy has like prayer. We all believe, I'm sure, it's said, we say it in our own homes, that a family that prays together, there's nothing like the power of that. That God would bless, blesses the homes of a family that prays together. see his blessing more in this home. Amen? In Peter's day, the church gathered together to pray for Peter because they knew and understand and intrinsically within them believed the results of prayer. They knew that God's power could be poured out in that God answers prayers. 
They had this expectation that it was going to happen. They understood that prayer led them to the throne of grace. And it's in that situation where God releases his power. And the reality is when the church fails to pray, that's when it fails to experience and enjoy what God can do. The reason we don't see things happen often is because we probably just haven't asked. Because we don't have the faith. Or we can't take the time to get on our knees diligently and ask. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask and it shall be given unto you. James writes on practical Christianity and tells us the reason why many lives live in spiritual poverty is yet you do not have because you do not ask. You can find that in James 4 2. But what type of prayer is exemplified here in this passage? Well, Peter was in prison. We're talking about pointed prayer. It wasn't just general prayers, oh God, have your way. May your will be done. Not that there's nothing, not that there's something wrong with praying that. Um, praying that God's will will be done in my life. Prayer of surrender is an amazing prayer. But this was pointed prayer. They got down to business. They prayed specifically for Peter's release. It was a specific prayer that had the power. And it's sad and unfortunate that we tend to only go to these specific prayers in times of trouble. That it's, it's, it's times when we're facing an issue, when our back's against the wall, that we get a little bit more specific and a little more persistent and a little bit more focused. If we were able to continue those pointed prayers as a family, what could be done? And as I mentioned, the second thing about these prayers that were taking place is we see persistent prayer. They didn't just pray one time and forget about it and say, I've prayed the prayer. Good to go. No. They stayed with it and they prayed again and again and again, calling down an answer from heaven, ringing the bells and calling on God to answer, to hear my prayer, but not just hear my prayer, but answer my prayer, O oh God. We see that there was a partnership in prayer, that they all, capital A, capital L, capital L, translate that to French, they all prayed for Peter's release. They had a united effort to reach the throne of grace on behalf of Peter. 
one of the greatest needs for our people is that holding together of one another in times of trouble in prayer. That, let me rephrase what I was going to say. We have a great need for salvation in our world. That we would come together in the midst of the storm that surrounds us in partnership in prayer. That we all, capital A, capital L, capital all, would partner in prayer. And then we also see that they had patience in prayer. They didn't give up just because God didn't deliver Peter the first night. That they had patience in prayer. They kept praying. Man, someone else who prayed a long time. Think about Daniel. Prayed 21 days straight until an answer came. Sometimes it requires patience. The next thing I want to take notice of in this passage is this unusual rescue. We see that God was concerned about his child, Peter. And he wasn't just worried from afar, but he answered and he sent an angel down to prison where Peter was sleeping. I find it interesting, though, that Peter was sleeping. This was his, supposed to be his last night alive on earth. He was supposed to be executed the next day. But was he shaking in fear? Was he crying? Was his chin quivering and tears coming down his cheeks? Had he made this choice to go back on his old ways to get out of trouble and deny Christ, to swear Christ off like he had 11 years before? No. He was just there asleep. God's got this. He ate supper, commended himself to the Lord, said goodnight to his sleeping friends. They were chained to him and went to sleep. There's no doubt Peter knew what was coming. He knew that his time was almost up, that his hours were numbered, that he would be executed. But yet, here he is, sound asleep. And I think Peter slept because, like Paul in Philippians 1, he knew that whether he lived or died, that he was going to do so for the glory of God. And that's significant. That's no small thing. And that's not an easy place to be at. On our own, in my own power, that's not an easy place to be at. You hear what I'm saying? And we know, in fact, Peter was sleeping so soundly 
that the angel had to hit Peter in the side. It wasn't a restless sleep. No. I was going to say sleeping like a baby, but we all know how babies actually sleep. Um, He was sleeping like a very exhausted parent who hasn't slept in many nights. He was dead to the world. And so the angel had to kick him in the side or hit him in the side. And then Peter was still groggy after the angel had woken up. That's how at peace Peter was. He's like, oh, do I have to get up? I was really comfortable chained to these two guys. I was having a really nice dream. No, he was still groggy while the angel led him out of the jail. And those chains, they weren't just like, the angel didn't just like sit there trying to pick it. Come on, come on. Oh, that broke. Let's get a new lock pick. Come on. No, they fell off. Power of God moved instantly. And the gates opened. I won't say what that is, but you know if you know. It's it's miraculous. Peter had this sleep of confidence. He knew who his God was. He knew who was on the throne. He trusted wholeheartedly. And Peter didn't get excited because he was in jail, didn't get all worked up. He knew that he was there for a just cause, that his faith, that what his faith was in was true, was sound. And he suffered delightfully as he went about his duties. But like I said, and this is the important part of this section, he had the deepest confidence in who his heavenly father was and still is today. The Bible says that he was sleeping between two soldiers. The Lord provided his servant the peace of mind and the rest of heart in the midst of what would be a scary situation, a challenging circumstance. And the worst that they could do to Peter was to behead him. But in Peter's mind, to die is gain. Thank you, God. And so Peter had this peace. I'm going to skip this story for the sake of time. Actually, I'm not. I'll go quickly through it. There's a man, this is true. This is 100% true. There was a man by the name of Siddhar Singh that uh, lived in northern India in the 1920s. As a young man, he was a devout Hindu, and he persecuted Christians in his village. One day, he was in his room praying And this great light appeared. And he looked into the light and he saw the form of Jesus Christ. A voice spoke to Sundar in Hindi. How long will you persecute me? I have come to save you. You are praying to know the right way. 
So totally unaware of the story of Paul and his conversion. At that point, Sundar became a believer in Jesus. Once again, you can look, verify this. You can see pictures of this dude if you Google him. Sundar Singh. So he became a follower, a believer of Jesus. He was so committed, he became a missionary to the village, two villages in Tibet. One spiritual leader became so upset with him that he had him thrown into a dry well. The lid was securely locked, and he was just left there to die. Surrounded by bones and rotting flesh of many others that had been sent to the same fate. On the third night, when he had been crying in prayer out to God, Sundar heard someone unlocking the lid of the well. The lid was removed and a voice spoke, telling him to take a hold of the rope that was being lowered. Sundar did so and was glad to find a loop at the bottom of the rope in which he could place his foot, for his right arm had been injured before he had been thrown down. It was then drawn up, and when he looked around him to thank the rescuer, he could find no trace of them. The fresh air revived him, and his left arm felt whole again. When the morning came, Sundar returned to the city where he had been arrested, and he began to preach again. News was brought to the spiritual leader that a man had been thrown into the execution well for preaching and had been set free and was now preaching again. Sundar Singh was brought before the leader and questioned, and he told the story of his release. The leader declared that someone must have gotten the key and let him in. But when they searched for the key, it was found attached to the leader's own belt. Sometimes things can look hopeless. Sometimes in our current spiritual, geopolitical climate, we can question, how can God save our nation, let alone my family or my community? Things can seem impossible, and it can seem like there's nothing but dead ends in life. But let me tell you something, and I pray that you believe this. The Lord is still in control, and he can make a way where there seems to be no way. That's not just a cliche thing to be said to ourselves or one another when things are feeling tough. I hate cliches. I can't stand religious things that are just said to make ourselves feel good. It's the truth. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. He thrives in the impossible situations, in the desperate situations. But it's a sad time, like I said five minutes ago, when we only go to that time of pointed, persistent, 
united, patient prayer in the most desperate times. Because that is what has what that is part of what has got the modern church to where we are today. And finally, as uh, Natalie comes back and the team, we encounter in this verse kind of entertaining, unprepared, unexpected reunion. There's something a little bit disappointing to me about the, the concluding events in this chapter. A little bit entertaining as well. But there there's, seems to be this failure of these praying people to believe that their prayers would actually be answered. Maybe not of the whole, just of a few of them. But... They were surprised when Peter was at their door. They were convinced, it says, that it had to be a ghost. That it had to be an angel of Peter. That Peter couldn't have actually been delivered. Like, that's impossible. He was a maximum security. But that's also human. It's human to do it at times. God still loves us. The same was said of the disciples upon hearing that Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb. They had believed, they were convinced that it had to have been stolen. He had said he was going to, this was not going to be a long-term thing, but, I mean, come on, he was dead, we saw it. But there was a girl named Rhoda who believed, although she only heard Peter's voice, she answered the knock at the garden gate and she became so excited, so overjoyed that she forgot to even unlock the gate because she knew that God had delivered. And that was Peter. That is Peter. Peter was supposed to die. He was in prison, but we prayed and that's Peter. I have to go and tell somebody about the goodness of God. I, what is happening right now? She kept on affirming that Peter was at the gate. She kept insisting Peter was at the gate. And everyone kept telling her, that's impossible. It never seemed to occur to him that God answers prayers. I hope that Rhoda's faith is inspirational to you this morning. this girl who had faith. Do you have faith that God can answer prayer? Or are you a believer that doesn't believe the story of a girl because you don't actually think it's worth the time to put in. What situation do you find yourself in this morning? Do you believe it's worth the time to pray because your prayers will be answered? 
God desires something of you, church, of each and every one of us, not just a few, but the sum, all. He desires for you to return to an attitude of surrendered heart towards him that is worth your time to pray. To remember not just this incredible act of God in the New Testament and to see what God can do when we truly, really turn to prayer. But to remember in more recent times what God has done as a result of your prayers, of the people who have come to Christ because of prayer, persistent prayer, because of the people who have been healed physically, mentally, because of prayer. For the financial needs that have been answered. There's so many different things that I, I can think of in my 37 years alive. How God has answered prayers. The list would start to get long if I really started to go through it. How much more so is it for each of you? Some of you have lived almost twice as long as I have. How much more have you seen God answer your prayers? But yet, why? I've been here for four years, the end of this month. Why, I ask you, during the week of prayer, will I only see maybe a third of our congregation? Why? I'm not saying I wish I would expect all 120 people uh, that uh, are regular attenders of our church would show up all five days, three times a week, or three times a day, all week long. I'm saying, why can't some point through next week we give up some of our time to unify be persistent, be patient be intentional in prayer and see what God can do why on Sunday evenings is it so hard for us to get together even just once a month once a quarter and pray together. Why is it so hard? And it's not just our church that has that issue. Every church I've been in, in my 11 years of ministry, plus going back, I mean, I'm a PK. Every church I've been in, it's been like that. Why? Why? Why is it so hard for us to act on what God asks or teaches us.
in his word. We all say we believe that this is true. Amen? We all say we believe that God answers prayers. Amen? We all say that we believe in the unity of prayer and the results of that. Amen? Where's the action? I'm not just preaching at you. I'm talking to myself too. Sometimes more day, more sometimes more than other times, I can struggle to prioritize prayer. Straight up, right now, my prayer life I would rate it a B minus. Um, nowhere near A plus right now. So I'm with you, folks. I'm with you, folks. God, we love you. We love you so much. God, I know that there's such a desire here to not live a perfect Christian life, but just draw closer to you to see your Holy Spirit move and poured out upon us. God, I pray that we would not feel condemned this morning, but we would feel encouraged by what you can do, by the example of the church that prayed for Peter and his deliverance. God, that we would hear you calling our name, calling us higher. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace. God, I pray that we would hear your voice this morning. And that we would respond to you. We respond to you to see your spirit move in our community, to move in our families. In Jesus' name. Natalie's going and the team are going to lead us in a time of worship. I'm going to invite the, uh, the breakthrough, the prayer team to come up front. If you feel that you need to slip out at this time, certainly feel free to do so. If you desire to uh, be prayed for or just to stay where you're at and pray, worship, let the Holy Spirit minister you. There is prayer this evening. Donald will be leading prayer this evening at 6 p.m. Uh, if you're free, I encourage you to show up. I love you. Have a great week. Bless you. In the secret, in the quiet.